Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our series on joy, and this one's called Our Statement of Belief. And the question to get started with today is, who has the most power in your life? And is that good or bad, and why? Enjoy. There's a lot of times I'll get asked either on the internet by a bunch of trollers, usually, um, or by people in here all the time, hey, what's New Abbey's statement of belief? I looked on your website and I didn't find any statements of belief. I'm like, <laughs> jokes on you, looked on your website, you didn't find much at all. So <laughs> It's a pretty lucrative website that we got going there. Um, and some of that is actually very intentional. I think that there's so much of the church world, particularly in like evangelicalism and American Christianity, honestly, it just all looks the same to me. And what we're saying is like, are, are you putting up the same thing? Are you copying and pasting what I'm copying and pasting? <laughs> right? And like, you know, like have, you belong here. Like, come on, it's everywhere, right? It's all the same stuff. And I'm laughing at it. But also for me, I'm like, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just a bunch of words on a website. The statement of belief at New Abbey is that you are embodying whatever it is that you believe about God, which is way more difficult, and all of the pressure is now on you. It's not about some statement of beliefs that you can't even articulate half of those theological words anyways, right? And where there are at least three verses to prove that it's, what? No. (laughs) What it's about is you are the walking embodied statement of belief for New Abbey. And that means something for the world. And that's something I wanted to talk about for a while, and we're into this passage here today in Philippians 2 as we're talking about joy. And it's this beautiful poem about who Jesus is as the Christ, as Lord. And it's all about power. And I think that we live in a world that when we say the word power, we think of negative things. And that we live in a world right now that when we think about power, we have people who are marching, and rightfully so, shouting at the top of their lungs, and rightfully so, right? Trying to challenge the systems of the world, and rightfully so, because power has been used and abused against so many people. And so we need new definitions of that. And something that we so care about at New Abbey is how do we reclaim these things? That power in and of itself is not inherently evil, it's power. We all have power in some way in the relationships that we have in our lives. And the story of Jesus is the best story for us to understand power. That if the God of the universe, the one who spoke and initiated 13.8 billion years of evolutionary history, has all of the power and chooses to use that power, not to send people to hell for eternity or not to be some pouty God who they don't love me enough or sing enough Chris Tomlin, you know? A worship service should have been an hour longer. Like, that's a weird God. That's the God that we were told. Did you read your Bible enough this week? Did you, like, make God happy? Like, you know, there's, like, like, a little, like, ticker. Like, it's like a light thing for God. Like, the more you read Scripture, God was like... (laughs) The Scriptures have been read. I am now safe in heaven now. No, that's, that's interesting. But I don't think that's who God is that we have is the most powerful being, and this being chooses chooses to come in the form of a human being, right? And the story of it comes as a human being and as the most marginalized of the marginalized, born to a mom that looks like awful sin, that looks like rape for Mary, right? Born into a tribe of people who are the bottom of the bottom of the Roman Empire. Born to a couple carpenters, the most blue-collared workers who are barely making it. The whole story is one of powerlessness. And it's a story that this God who uses power shifts what power looks like. And that's what we're invited into this morning. So to do that, 
Follow along with me in Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So to talk about power, we got to talk about a few things. we got to talk about Bella. That's my two-year-old daughter. Um, we got to talk about Hail Caesar. After we talk about Hail Caesar, then we'll be well prepared to talk about everyone's favorite Greek word, harpagmas. Say harpagmas with me. Oh, it's going to be good. Then we got to talk about the cross. Then we got to talk about the Lord. And then after we talk about the Lord, come on, Frankie. There we go. You got to put your charismatic up front. You know what I'm saying? It really gets the energy going. You know, it's wonderful. There's some of you who are like, I'm not even sure what I believe, and if I believe anything anymore, you know, like sitting in the back, that's great, but Frankie sits up front, you know, like, <laughs> he says praise the lamb still, like that's amazing, you know what I'm saying, that's bringing some energy, I love it, <laughs> praise, that's really a side note, but if you want healing, go to Frankie after the service, <laughs> what a commercial break, so after the Lord, we're going to talk about another Greek word in kenosis, and after we talk about kenosis, we're going to talk about what that means actually for our statement of belief. So I have this thing that I do with Bella every week. Uh, not every week, like every day. So I go to her, and I kind of pick her up, and we have this like little moment together, and I say, like, who's my brave girl? And she goes, me. You know, like smiles, right? Who's my beautiful girl? Me, right? Oh, who's my smart girl? Oh, me, right? Who's only going to see sweet job and be an executive when they grow up? Me, you know, like, things like that. Yeah, you're trying to prepare her in the way of the Lord. So we go through this like litany of things and like I tickle her and kiss her and she says me, you know, it's like our thing. And so the other day I kind of walk in and like she's playing with something, but I'm like, who's my brave girl? And she like kind of ignores me, you know, <laughs> rude. <laughs> who's my brave girl still kind of ignores me. So I kind of like go grab her, you know, and she's like, whatever, dad. So like finally I'm like asking her, I'm like, hey, I'm in this. Let's be in this together, right? Trying to force this upon her. And she looks at me turns around and says, all me, and walks off. <laughs> Just, boom. And I kind of loved it. I'm like, it's so ingrained in her, like, that's me, right? I am the smart one, and the beautiful one, and the brave one, and see, sweet, here we go, right? Dad's retirement. And so, what I love about that, though, is that I'm a father. And as a father, I have a ton of power. And I have a ton of power that impacts my children, how I love them, how I care for them. Am I using that power in some weird way that I need them to love me because I don't have my stuff together? How many of us grew up in those families where our parents were unhealthy and they didn't find healing and they, you can raise a hand, that's fine if you want to get into it, yeah, yeah. You're like, one other person did it. You're like, oh, I'm alone. No, 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 I don't know. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of families like that where there was parents who were desperately raising children so that those children would love them. Instead of offering an unconditional love that loved those kids, right? There's so many people in this room that experienced a parentification where you were raising your parents. You're still raising your parents. 
and that's painful for you. And so I know that my family tree has a lot of history on it that honestly is filled with all kinds of special crazy, right? There's a lot of crazy in this world. My family's got a lot of it in it. It's beautiful, right? And I know that, and I know the pain that I've received from that, and so I have a responsibility, if I'm aware of that, not to pass that on to my children. And it's not just what I don't want to pass on to them or what I want to move them from, but what are the things that I want to be about? And what I want to be about is empowering my children every day to believe so much in who they are, how they're valued at their deepest levels. And I get that opportunity to do that with Bella. And she gets the opportunity to be like, on me, right? (laughs) That she gets to know that at her core. And I think what we think about as we get to this passage is that we think about this deeper reality is that that's what God's doing with us. That God is taking all of God's power and empowering us. Reminding us of the good news that we say in here all of the time, that you are a daughter or son of the divine, that God loves you and that God likes you. You should clap to that every time, right? There you go. What was told to us as good news is God actually doesn't like you that much. God is quite angry with you and God needs to kill God's son to make God happy with you. Sounds good. No, that sounds like really bad news. And this nude is, no, no, this is the, this nude, this... (laughs) Good news. The good news is quite different in Jesus. And we say it in here all the time that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. That Jesus came to change your mind about God. That there's not an angry God out there who thinks so pitifully of you. There's a God out there who from the beginning of existence has so loved you because you, you are made in the image of who this God is. And this God doesn't have a tiny little ego, or I mean a massive ego, or a lot of insecurity. This God is God. And this God can sit holy or other apart from us and use this God's power to remind us of who who we are. That the relationship is understood and that this is a God who is always moving towards us. It's not about us somehow secretly trying to please this God. So with that in mind, we can look at this a little bit more. So uh, let's go back to this passage. Everything about this passage is actually incredibly subversive. That in the Roman world, when Paul is writing this in prison, he understood very well what his words would mean. He understood that when you say that Jesus is Lord, that those are words that would get you killed. Because in the Roman world, there was only one Lord. That Lord was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was Lord and seen as divine because Caesar did something that no one before him had done in the Roman world. Caesar had united all of the Roman provinces. And there's all kinds of cultures there and all kinds of leaders and all kinds of other things going on. So the fact that this person 2,000 years ago had the capacity to unite these Roman provinces, they would call Caesar Augustus Lord. And wherever Caesar Augustus would go, they would declare the good news about Caesar. Again, we've said it in here before and I'll say it again. The word good news does not come from Jesus. Good news is used by Christians to subvert the Roman Empire and to introduce you to a different kind of Lord. The word good news was originally used by Caesar Augustus because wherever he would go, he would remind people, remember who created this unity and freedom for you. It was me. And how did Caesar do that? Caesar did it by using his power and using violence to accumulate his power. So if you were a Roman citizen, things are going well for you, man, right? You're sitting in the middle of the Roman Empire, economics are cruising, stock market's up and to the right. 
And it's all because Caesar united this empire and this nation by killing a bunch of other people around him. And that's the model of power that most of us have been given. We've been given a model that if you have power, that means you are trying to be powerful or power-filled. And that's what we were given in Caesar. So much so that, I mean, everything in our culture is about this type of success, right? This is what power looks like. It's about you going out there and it's about you accumulating it. Let me tell you a little bit different story that's very different than the Roman Empire. Let me talk about the American Empire. Uh, Yeah, you can laugh at that, right? The American Empire, same thing. What's it all about? It's about accumulating power. I'm an American and I know that, but I have to cope with the reality that 2,000 years ago, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen was the Roman Empire. And today in 2019, the most powerful world empire that the world has ever seen is the United States of America. And we have a $750 billion defense budget instead of our right $70 billion education budget because we know how to accumulate power and how to keep power through violence. And we reap the benefits and comfort of that violence. Here's why I tell you that. Not to make you feel guilty on a Sunday morning, but to make you aware of that fact, because you are powerful, because you are a citizen, many of you, of the United States of America, and the gospel that you've been given has been won through a lens of powerful people. But that is not the gospel that is being offered here. This is not just a pretty poem about who Jesus is and every tongue confesses who Jesus is. No, this is a story of saying, this is a subversive text that telling you who the real Lord is because we know that the Lord of the Roman Empire, Caesar, uses power to kill people. That's what goes on here. So there's this word here called harpagmos. Say again, harpagmos with me, everybody. It's a good one. The word harpagmos is actually this word for cling, right? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The word cling here in Greek, harpagmos, is actually the word for theft and stealing. Jesus, who has all of the power, who lives in right relationship in this trinity of who God is, how power is utilized in this world, is not trying to steal that power, right? It's not trying to to get that power through thievery or to grasp at it, to pull it away or to hurt, to attain that power. That word is so specifically used because in that language at that day, you would know people who do that. You would know how Caesar received Caesar's power. Caesar clung to that power, stole it, was a thief, pulled it away from other people. Because there's a lot of us in this world who live in a dog-eat-dog world. If I'm going to have any power, that means what? I got to take that power from somebody else. And the Bible is so aware that's what we do as human beings. The Bible's aware of this. There are a lot of powerless groups who are fighting for their power. And when they finally get their power, they act just like the pharaohs and Caesars before them. And the Bible warns against that incredibly. Israel, don't you ever be like Pharaoh. If I'm going to free you from this, this slavery, how dare you go enslave other people, right? This is the story that Jesus is moving towards here. I didn't cling to power and take it by force. The power that I offered this world was one of powerlessness, was one of empowering people. There's these powerful passages at the end of Jesus' life where Peter is used to make this point where in the garden, Peter grabs the sword and goes to attack people and Jesus heals the man's ear that that Peter had cut off as a reminder of we do not use force in this kingdom. That's the model that was given to you to cling and to take what you think is yours. But in this kingdom, we do something differently. In another gospel, it says this, that Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, 
If I wanted to, I would call down 10,000 angels in this moment, but I do not because my kingdom is not one of violence and power in that way. The kingdom I offer is one of humility and sacrifice and gentleness, right? This is why sometimes we have such confusing language in American theology when we think about God because so many of us, and this is a sermon for another day, I'll save you another 30 minutes, um, have been told that Jesus comes to fulfill the sacrificial system which is really a system filled with violence. But that's not true. That's not, that's not even true historically orthodoxy of Christianity for the first thousand years. The first thousand years is that Jesus came to end the sacrificial system. That's very different. Jesus came to end the violence in this world. Jesus came that when the violence was put upon him, did he leash any of that violence out to anybody else? No. He took all that violence and all that pain and that brokenness in so that we don't continue spreading it away. And so the model that Jesus is offering us is not one of which we cling to things, but one of which we let go. And how many of us in our lives have experienced this kind of power where we've gone to cling or rob or take power from something or someone has done something to us? I have an addiction. I'm a part of a sexual addicts recovery group and I have been for 10 years. And I went to this recovery group for the first time as I cheated on my wife. I've told this story on here a lot of times. Right? I didn't have any language for that when I was an adolescent. I was a good evangelical kid. I thought to myself, if I just get married young, right, at APU, like God's going to sprinkle magical pixie dust around me and all of my sexual issues, which is the way that I was coping with the world because I was hurting, by the way, right, would go away. I'm going to let you in on a secret. It didn't go away. It didn't go anywhere, right? Wherever you go, there you are. And I had to deal with that reality, right? I had to deal with that reality that my addiction was clinging and taking more from me than it was giving to me. Many of you have an addiction in this room and you know exactly what I'm talking about. The energy, the cost, the life that your addiction has taken from of you. Many of you have been in relationships where somebody is clinging to you and pulling from you and taking that life away from you. Many of you are battling systems that have told you that you are less than and they are taking and clinging and pulling value away from you. We can name thing after thing in this world that uses powerful mechanisms to cling and to rob and to steal and to take something from you. And so this passage is using language to set that up to say, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of who this Lord is. So at the very bottom here, it says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, which is a way of saying this. Caesar accumulated Caesar's power through violence. Caesar keeps Caesar's power through violence. That's how it works. If you don't agree with Caesar, what would Caesar do to you? Caesar would kill you and torture you and make sure that every other person in the Roman world would see you because they would do it in very public ways so that you wouldn't challenge the lordship of who Caesar was. So what Jesus does on the cross is, I'll take that bet on. I will take on all of the powerful systems that come at me. The powers of sin, the powers of death, the powers of the unseen, the powers of systems, the powers of brokenness, the powers of pain, and instead of taking all that hurt and unleashing that hurt in the world and say, I'm really going to show you, right? Jesus takes that hurt in and doesn't put it back out upon other people. That's the power of the cross. 
But what we've been taught about the cross and this humble obedience is that Jesus did this work for us. Now, what do you have to do? All you have to do is say a prayer, right? Raise your hand, brothers and sisters, right? Stand up. I see that hand. I see, you know. And it will all go away. Did anyone say those prayers? Did it all go away? No. And I don't mock that. That's my journey. I'm so thankful for the Hume Lakes of my life that was a part of my transformation in that moment and how I understood Jesus there, right? But now that I've evolved a little bit and matured a little bit and grown up a little bit, like that's not the point of the cross. The point of the cross is not that Jesus did some work on the cross so that I could just do whatever I wanted. The point of the cross is I'm taking on the powers of the world and I'm inviting you to come into it as well. Because the statement of belief for us is this, is that hurt people will hurt people. If you don't allow the humility of the cross to transform your life, if you continue to take on the ways of Caesar by using powerful means to maintain your power, you will wreak havoc on this world. If you come from an abusive family, you are more likely to do what? Abuse. That's how it works. We are uniquely qualified to hurt people in the same way that we've been hurt. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to take that hurt on and I don't want to offer it out anymore. And so I want to invite you into the cross as well. That my story and my good news is not that you will escape your pain, but that you will face your pain head on. I'm going through counseling right now with my mom, and this has been an on and off, incredibly painful process for three years, and we're doing this like online thing. And I honestly haven't seen my mom or dad in three years. And it is so raw to sit on a phone call or FaceTime with my mom and this therapist and to work through our stuff. And I'm still a three-year-old somewhere, right? What do I want more than anything? My mom's love. And I know, I know very well who my mom is. And I know that I might not get that. And that that will be okay. And that will be a part of my journey. We all have our journeys. We all have our things that we work through. We all have love that we're looking for, right? Sometimes in all the wrong places. And my, my journey with my mom in this is kind of where I, what I said in the beginning is I don't want to pass this same pain on. I want to be very aware of who I am and, and what the dynamics are of our family so I don't pass it forward. My grandmother, my mom's mom, died about a year ago. And it was one of these moments where my mom, for the first time in therapy, can articulate, for 55 years, I've been trying to get my mom to love me. And I know that if my grandma could articulate it, she would say that for her entire life, she was waiting for her father to love her. For me, it's how many generations of misuse of power need to go on in my family. Because my family were faithful Texas Christians, my friend. They were in church three times a week, reading all of the Bible passages, doing everything that they were supposed to do. And they passed on those massive wounds because they were told a story about good news where Jesus does magic on a cross instead of you have to go to the cross as well. And why we sit in this room is this is our story. We're not just letting Jesus be powerful in some way. And we come to the story that so we can say no to the harpogmas in this world that happens in our own lives, that people have committed against us or that we commit against others. We come to this cross and we come to this story so that we don't pass on the good news of Caesar. Instead, that we pass on a good news of Jesus. 
And so the passage switches a little bit here as it begins to think about who is Jesus. It says this, right? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. This word here in Greek for gave up is this word for kenosis. Kenosis is this idea of emptying oneself of something. It's recognizing the way of beauty, the way of love, the way of healing, the way of reconciliation, the way of transformation, the way of maturity in this world is not clinging or grasping with your powerful hand. It is opening your palms, right? And offering up, being vulnerable, sacrificing in this world. It's emptying oneself of what you might have. And what I believe about this room is every single person here carries power in some way. You have a unique power to offer another human being. Now, will you offer that power powerfully like Caesar? Or will you offer that power in a way that you can empower other human beings and that you can recognize that you're powerless? It's the first step in every 12-step group, right? Admitting that your life has become unmanageable and that your life is powerless. This is why they say all the time things like, oh, you'll never move the recovery program until you've hit rock bottom. It's always this moment of saying, you can't start the process until you realize you cannot do it on your own anymore. You need something greater than yourself as a human being to cope with the difficulties of being human. That the greatest and most difficult job that you will ever have is to be a human being. And it will take you a lifetime to figure out. Enjoy putting that resume in, right? <laughs> human being, figuring it out. That's for you. Praise God. And how you be a good human being, how you be a good, whatever, English. Thank you. That's good. Is through powerlessness. And what happens through powerlessness is that the more you realize you're powerless, the more you have the capacity to empower other people. Over here is a vicious cycle. Over here is a cycle of transformation. And what happens in our culture sometimes, and I think this is where even in progressive circles, and this is a progressive circle, is we're so focused on our story and what we have going on in our wounds that we think if I just mine deeper with my wounds, I'm going to get healed. No, the scriptures would say this. Jesus' life would say this. Both and. Learn to love yourself and love your neighbor. Right? That, all right. I'll take it. You put him in the front row. Praise Jesus. Come on. Come on. But that's where real healing is found. Your pain is healed as you focus on the pain of others because it brings it to the surface. Sometimes when we're only focused on our own pain and what we have going on, we just simply become selfish. And we use a lot of really pretty progressive words, right? Like to cover that up, right? I was thinking like, should I use some of them? No, I'm gonna offend someone. So I'm gonna hold with those. You do your own little journey then. <laughs> have fun. But we do stuff all the time like that, right? We think like, oh, well, I'm healing myself and I got things going on and I'm being vulnerable or I'm being brave, so look, now I can do whatever I want. No, you're still being a jackass. You're still being selfish. You're still being hurtful. And you have things to be angry about and to be hurt about, but how do you not only focus on your own pain, but how do you get out of your own head and your own world and focus on the pain of other people? And when you do that, when you have the capacity to empower, it will change your powerlessness. And when you have the capacity to have powerlessness, it will change your capacity to empower other human beings. And that's what Jesus is constantly modeling for us. That's the way of incarnation. That Jesus, with all of the power in this world, always does what? He never offers his disciples a statement of belief. He says these words, come and follow me. Come and move your feet. 
Come experience the real pain of the world and it will only allow you to be more gracious to yourself. So he takes these disciples who think that they're getting behind this exciting new revolutionary rabbi and he takes them to all the places that they're not supposed to go. He takes them to Samaritans, right? It's like taking your most ardent Midwest white NRA Christian. He's like, look, Mexicans, you know? (laughs) Seriously, I say that for an honest reason that we all have these biases that we've been taught, that person is somehow less than me because of an imaginary border. That person is somehow less than me because of their sexuality. That person is somehow less than me because of their economic situation. And Jesus takes people time after time after time to see a Samaritan, to see a hooker who's sitting by a well, to see a someone who was caught in the act of adultery. Watch that movie, right? And this is what Jesus does. He always takes people to people who've been demon-possessed. Jesus takes us to broken people all the time because he knows this. If you can humanize them, you begin to humanize yourself. And if you can humanize yourself, you'll humanize them. And that's what will bring about healing in the world. And then what you're going to realize there is you're not going to follow the model of being powerful where you get to accumulate all of the power out of this and somehow you figure it out and everyone else has got to go fend for themselves. Because in the grace of God, if you take a million away from infinity, what do you still have? Infinity. It's not a dog-eat-dog world. It's a generative grace that is there for every single human being unconditionally exactly where you're at. And we participate in that when we can practice our own powerlessness. We participate in that when we can be empowering other people. And how do you do that? Some ways, you share your story. You become vulnerable and you have the opportunities to share your story with where you're at. This is why we do this every week at New Abbey. We don't do it just because we're like bored. We do it so that you have the opportunity to say, this is who I am and where I'm at as a human being. And you get to hear somebody else's story to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only human being who screwed up. I'm five, right? That we have people come up here and share their stories. That we, right, the way that we give money is to break down the power in this world. That last week alone, $1,700 worth of New Abbey's money went to our community because people in this room said, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. That's how we combat powerfulness in this world, right? The story for me is, I remember when Brittany and I first met, and uh, I sent her this email because I'd seen that she had written this story on Facebook about coming out and leaving her megachurch and the life that she knew. And we got a coffee for the first time. And it was one of those moments where like, we're going to be friends forever. Um, and we just kept having coffees because I knew what it was like to leave the bigger thing and to be all alone. And now here she was all alone. And it was a beautiful moment. And she started working at Cal State Fullerton. And I remember the moment where I was like, man, what's the thing that you want most in this world? And she was like, man, I would love to preach again, but I can't preach because I've come out gay. I'm like, you, you want to preach next week? And she preached next week. <laughs> I remember the moment where it was like, okay, we should hire you on staff. And as we hired her on staff, you know, it was all the normal, powerful games of the church world were like, well, is she going to come on as an associate pastor or this? I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to be equals. How do we figure out a way to co-pastor? How do we figure out a way for this? Not because I'm the hero in this story, but I recognize this. I need you and you need me. I need your stories of healing and your pain and your transformation and you need mine. Because the world would tell us that externally we look very different. Even our internal problems are very different. But when we can come together and contribute to one another's healing, when we can empower each other on a daily basis, when, we can be po- when the other can be powerless with that person, what a gift that I got to call her after my therapy appointment with my mom. And admit, I think I'm depressed. 
and I don't know what to do about that. What a gift. What a gift that I've had so much vulnerability with another human being that I can invite them into my world and they could be there for me and they could be a champion and vice versa. And that's the gift that I hope for in this community. Would you keep being vulnerable? Would you keep empowering one another by being brave and telling your stories? Would you continue to be powerless in all that you do? And in that, we'll tell a better story of who really is Lord. We'll live out our statement of beliefs in everything that we do. That it's nothing that could ever be written on a website. It's something that has to be embodied in every move that we make. Would you find the same three or four people around you and would you answer this question? How can your statement of belief empower healing in others? That question works for you, great. If not, talk about whatever you want. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.